You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Just a, a quick little long family update uh, for those that maybe just visited last Easter. If you're grandma, grandpa, and you wanted to catch up on what happened last Easter, um, uh, I, I told you guys last Easter that I failed as a dad in 2022 because I feel that I'm the mantle of the pet preventer in my house. Like, if we go into a pet store, there's five other people in my family, and none of them are saying we're not going to get that pet. I'm the only voice of reason in my family, and you might be too, so take that, make sure, because just gotcha day is not the only day of that pet's life. And so uh, we did celebrate the the first gotcha year of uh, our dear bunny, Sir Duke uh, Woody himself, and uh, he's a lot fatter than that now, Uh, big old rabbit that uh, we gave to Rose and uh, scratched her uh, for her awesome Easter dress today, and so she was bummed about that. But uh, Woody is just running amok in the room. I'll tell you what, if Woody wants to go back in his cage, he'll go back. But if you got to chase him, you are not going to get him. Like, I am 0 for 55 catching Woody. And fun fact about Woody, this is now, what, a year or 11 months and some change uh, of Woody's gotcha life. Uh, Woody, in fact, is not actually a, a boy Woody. Woody's actually a girl. Uh, <laughs> had a pet sitter watching the, kid, uh, watching the pets. You remember when you buy a pet. What are you doing when you go on vacation for that pet? And so uh, Britton Grabluski, our dear friend, was watching the pet and knew how to tell that Woody is not is more of a, a Wendy than a Woody, I guess. Uh, we keep calling her Woody. And I'd like to tell you this, the first time that's ever happened to me, truth be told, though, uh, I failed as the pet preventer and also the gender inspector, apparently, because our uh, horseshoe, our, our, uh, our crab, what's that thing called? Um, hermit crab. Uh, big guy is actually not a big guy, but a big girl. And uh, that name, just like Woody, did not translate as well. Couldn't call her big girl, so we just call her big guy anyways. So that's how, that's how we, are, we are doing. Um, but also wanted to update you guys that uh, my second son, Leo, uh, is 15 years old now. And that's a pretty crazy age. I felt like 14 was still boy, but 15, I'm like, oh, I'm talking to a man with the bass in your chest, you know? Um, we go hoop every morning at six, and uh, he, he's, he's a good dude, um, be- better than I was. I don't tell him, don't tell him that when they go crazy. You're like, what was I doing at 15? And he's way better than I was. Um, but they let him drive at 15. And can you believe this? I mean, I had to be 16. There, he's going to go take a test, and I, I, like, I hope he almost passes. Like, I don't want him to actually fly in colors because I want him to have like, a healthy respect of the motor vehicle that he's driving. But he's going he's gonna to drive, and, uh, and, I'm, and, I, and I get so nervous. It's not, he's a great guy. I saw him drive. Um, I've seen him drive in Mario Kart, um, and I've seen him drive in real life now. And he's a great, he's got the instincts. He's got the gift, like his mother, uh, not like me. And so um, I'm, I'm not worried about him, but, but I do know what it's like out there. Uh, Rose, my daughter, we live in Five Forks of all places. I'm not, we're not talking about, like, the hood, you know. We live in, like, just the most cookie-cutter suburban place, and Rose said she was driving down the road, and she's, and I'm sure it was nobody in this room, but she was driving down the road in her little Honda Accord 2012, and in Simpsonville, in Woodruff Road, somebody rolled down the window and flicked off the pastor's daughter in Simpsonville in the middle of the broad daylight. I'm like, where are we? Compton, right? Like, I mean, I can't believe how awful it's getting out there, you know? I, I don't mistrust the kids. I just understand, you know, the world that we live in. I was um, on, a, on a youth group trip one time, um, and we were driving to Charlotte, and it was a really, really rainy day. It was so rainy, in fact, that like you couldn't see through the windshield on the high, you know, the high setting where the windshields are going crazy and there's still rain covering it up. And um, we were on the way to a Jesus Culture concert, and there's probably like seven, eight kids in the back. And 
I was, I, was, I was moving forward to try and get into this lane, and you ever have these, one of these people that it's just so important, they just need to get to that red light, you know, 10 seconds before you, right? And, and so I have my turn signal on, and I'm trying to move over, and as I'm moving over, they, they won't stop. And so at the last minute, I, I accelerated into the lane to try and get into my lane, and I, and I turned, and, and, and the Charlotte, the Charlotte speed, the, the ramps of the exit kind of go like Dr. Seuss over in a circle, and so I was like trying to, to stop, and as soon as I pushed the brake pedal, like the brake on the 16-passenger van wouldn't break. And the hydroplane kind of engaged and all the water sprayed up. And, and we were probably going like 50 or 40 down to it, but we still ran into that little embankment and slammed our car right into this little embankment thing just enough to look forward into the ravine down there all the way down into the road. It's not that I don't trust my kids. I just know it's scary out there sometimes. I was out swimming at a beach one time. Um, we were just doing, you know, when, guys, when girls get together, they find the best solution. When guys get together, they figure out what is the dumbest possible thing, and then they do that. They get dumber together. And, um, and we were hitting wiffle, we were hitting potatoes into the Atlantic Ocean with a wiffle ball bat and, uh, and decided just to make it, a, make it really awesome and just swim um, in the middle of this dark ocean, which uh, I love the day ocean, but dark ocean is a whole other animal. And uh, I find myself swimming forward towards the coast and being drifted further and further back away from it. And uh, this is just a little testimonial lesson you need to clock out for the rest of my sermon. Those signs that talk about riptides at the beach, they're not just for people that can't swim, okay? That's the ego kicking in for you if you really are thinking that. They are for everybody. And so as much as I paddled in, I just kept being drug out and, uh, and ultimately just had to hang on to this last little pier at the end of this thing. I'm not worried about my kids. I'm worried about the world they live in. I know the world you know, that they live in. I was, I was installing a washing machine even just as a 38-year-old, 39-year-old guy the other day. I almost electrocuted myself. And electricity doesn't sound like Power Rangers, you know, when you really encounter it. It's like this eerie popping noise that feels like it could kill you. And I know this from experience. And uh, so I was moving the washing machine, and I was plugging it in, pretending like I knew uh, what I was doing. And it popped. And the whole room went black. It went blue, like I was in the Fortress of Solitude. And then back black again. And then the lights turned back on. And uh, my wife said, "Uh, what happened? And I said, nothing. And... uh, (laughs) That's kind of how it goes, you know, even if you're 15 or, or, or 39. I know, I know the scary power of the world. I also know the beautiful power of the world. I know what it's like to look into a girl's eyes at 15 and have her draw you in in such a powerful way that uh, you end up dating her even through high school and through college and long-distance relationships and eventually altering the course of your life just by one look. I know um, the power of being in a big lecture hall of 400 kids uh, about U.S. history and, and hearing for the first time back when streaming just started getting going, like Dr. King's speech, I have a dream, and just chill bumps like covering my entire body, like encountering like the power of a movement, encountering the power of a leader, you know. Um, and, and I know, um, you know, the, the, the beautiful power of um, worship. Like I remember getting to that Kim Walker concert and, and Kim Walker singing, Kim Walker Smith and Jewish culture singing, Oh, How He Loves Us, and just the power of God encountering a room like that, like I know the scariness and the beauty, you know, of the power that, uh, of, of, the, of the world that we live in. And so uh, here, here's a little trick is that um, if you're a parent or if you're not a parent, um, is that as you're parenting, you realize the trick's on you. The plot twist is that as you're parenting, you're actually being parented. Uh, that we're 15, you know, that we're 38 years old, but we're still kind of 15 in some ways just faking it. Um, at least I am. And um, and so the classroom, you know, the classroom, maybe, you know, you're not 15 anymore when it comes to finances or when it comes to how to drive a car. I mean, we have this mastery, but don't let that fool you in terms of your false sense of maturity. Like, we're always being parented. We never stop being fathered by the Father in, in the areas of faith. And, um, and, so, and so one of the things I think that we're continually being parented in, even if we're parents, 
is that any power um, that we encounter in, on this earth, you know, some of the things that we've ta- I talked about earlier, just like obviously big power, right, like nuclear power or political power or the power of money, but also soft power, the power of influence, the power of sexuality, the power of leadership, the power of relationship, like there's so much power out there. But the, but the, but the scripture says that as we're parented, as we encounter power in this world, we're actually, we're not being threatened, we're being taught. And what we're being taught is a very important lesson that any power that we encounter in this world for all the years we walk is only an inferior power to Jesus. That every power that we encounter is not one to be intimidated by, but one to be invited into by the Father. That every time there's an equation on the board of of the lesson of the classroom of life, right? Like any power you have encountered, you have never encountered a superior power to the power of Jesus. Every power we see is an invitation to know him and to understand the power of the death and the life and the resurrection of Jesus. There is no greater power. This is the way that 1 John 4 talks about it um, from the Apostle John as he, as he writes out to, to the churches back then, but he could write it just as soon to us. As, Listen, dear children, don't think that you are smarter than you are. Don't think that you can swim against riptides because you can't. You are, you are not a, a specimen. You're not an experiment. You're not a conglomeration. You're a child. You're a child. And dear child, this is what I want you to know that you are from God, and that God, if you are in Christ, has overcome the world. Remember when he told you that? When he told the disciples that before he left this earth, better that I should go, and don't, don't worry, don't take, you know, take heart that I've overcome the world. This is, this is the equation, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Any power that we encounter out there is not more powerful than the power that is in us. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. This is the nature of the true power structure and the dynamics that live, live in this cosmos. And so there's this Easter tradition. You know, I, I heard after first service that uh, it was somebody's first time that they ever heard this tradition. Maybe you heard the tradition before, right? So I say he is risen, and you say what? So let's try that one more time. I, I say he is risen. and He is risen indeed. And, and so there you go. So now you learn the, the tradition. If you've, if you've never been to it before, it's a powerful tradition because I can't think of in those three words, he has risen of a, of a more poignant, articulate way to describe the gospel and the importance, the reality of Easter. He has risen. It, it, it's, it's important because what it means is that if Christ is risen, then death is dead. That there is a tombstone out there that went from Adam to Jesus. And from Adam to Jesus, death reigned. But from Jesus to eternity, what Romans says is that righteousness reigns kingdom on earth reigns, that there is a new ruler. So, so Easter, he is risen, doesn't just mean a miracle got pulled off because Lazarus doesn't save us. That the tomb is empty means death is dead. And it makes us think and, and, and process an important idea here is that death, death, you know, we talk about death like it's this cute crochet pillow, oh, they're going yonder and go rest in power and, you know, must, God must have needed another angel and dust to dust and everybody eventually lives and everybody dies. Listen, don't allow conventional understanding of these important spiritual topics to inform you. Death was never supposed to be a part of life. Death was a part of sin. That the original creation that God was meant to walk with man for eternity, and death came as a consequence, not as, not as a catalyst. It came as a consequence of sin, something that Adam did back in the garden. And so death is vile. Death is, death is vicious. Death, death has an aroma to it. That is not natural. Death doesn't care if you're six years old or six years old. It doesn't care if you're a mom. It doesn't care if you're, it doesn't care who you are. Death is cruel and is not your friend. And it mastered this creation. It, it put creation under bondage and groaning from Adam until Jesus as it awaited the great promised Messiah. Death was never natural. Death is the enemy. 
And so what we say when we say, you know, Jesus is risen, Jesus is risen, Jesus is death is dead, is that the consequence of sin, all of the sin that, that, that created a debt, that created a, um, uh, a tab um, for, for the final judgment of, of death, all of that got paid for by Jesus. It's like we were all at a dinner one day and uh, you and me just ate and ate and we didn't consider how much stuff cost and then the bill came. You've been to a meal like this. And we realized that the, the trillions of dollars that were put on this debt is, is a vast void compared to the amount of money that I had in my pocket. And, and, and we were all thought we were doomed until, until the one that never ate, until the one that never tasted sin decided to pull out his wallet and pay the debts of everybody in this room that is in Christ. That his righteousness was enough to, um, to atone and propitiate for our sin. And so he pays the debt of death, but not only pays the debt of death, but offers everyone in Christ full and eternal life abundant life. In other words, that all of us that were in sin and locked up in sin, in, in salvation and in the Spirit, don't only lose, let's say, our past when it comes to, to robbing and stealing. No, like Paul says that, that, that the gospel means that, that sin has been atoned for and, and forgiven for, but also the church has been full of the Spirit, not just to stop stealing, but to be generous. Not just to... Um, to, uh, to stop being abusive to their family, but to build up their family in nurturing love. This is what the gospel has come to, not just put away death, but to offer life. And so if I could put it this way, this is what the world metronome sounded like before Jesus came. It sounded like tick, 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 until death came. And when Jesus took our death, that was not just his death, it was ours, that was not just his future, it was our future, it was my future on that cross. He got what I deserved so he could give me what I didn't deserve. And when he died, he canceled sin and death once and forever and rose up from the grave to not just rescue me from eternal death, but to offer, offer and usher me into eternal life. That's the gospel. And when we say indeed, what we mean is that what is done by Christ, it cannot be undone. That's what we mean. When we say he is risen, he is risen indeed, we mean we're saying what he's done cannot be undone. It cannot be lost or changed or misconstrued or, or misconveyed that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the work that he has done is finished and complete and cannot be undone because God does good work. But even in that statement, he is risen, he is risen indeed, there's still some things missing in that statement. I mean, I'm a preacher, I guess, and I think about words too much, but he is risen and he is risen indeed still leaves to me at least a little bit of it to be continued. Like for me, if you say to me, he is risen, he is risen indeed, one of the questions that should immediately come into your mind is like, well, where did he go? Like if he's the most like powerful, like wise, healing, loving person that came from heaven and people followed him, like I wanna follow him too, where is he? That's the question I want to ask on Easter if you say he is risen, he is risen indeed. And the second question I want to ask myself is, is if he's risen, like, what's next? Like, what's the point? If I come to Christ and, and accept him as my Savior, I'm brought from spiritual death into spiritual life at 20 years old, but I'm still here for 80, for, until I'm 80 years old, I'm still here for 60 more years, then what is that 60 years for? What is it for? Is it, is it, is it are we here for Easter just to, just to come and wait till he comes back? To sing about the songs and read about the book and just wait for him to come back like he is risen, he is risen indeed still leaves questions unanswered me. It leaves for me the question of the unresurrected things in my life. Like I'm, I'm following a, a savior that has told me that everything in him is made new, but yet there's so things in my life that seem so old, that seem so trapped, that still, still seems so much part of the old era, the old Adam era. So what do you do and how do you compensate for unresurrected things in your life? And so here's my new saying. Can we do it? If it's your first one, this is a big just fire hose of, uh, of uh, tra church tradition, right? 
So, so this is what I want us to, to try today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is the new phrase that I want to introduce and just try just for this Sunday and not next Sunday. But I want you to say, he is risen, and I want you to say, he is risen in us. Can you say that? So he is risen. He is risen in us. Say, he is risen. One more time. He is risen. He's risen in us. He is risen in us means that, that at the empty tomb, Jesus appeared to many people, walked through walls, ate fish, and spoke to his disciples, giving them the great commission. He sent it to the right hand of the Father, but that's not the only place he went. In Acts chapter 1, it says that he has appointed the times and the places he took all authority to sit at the right hand of the Father, the same power that raised him from the dead, ascended him to the right hand of the Father, but that's not the only place he went, because in Acts chapter 2, it says that from that ascendancy that he dumped, he poured out his spirit on all flesh for the conviction of sin and the, and the, and the formation of righteousness within his church. In other words, the tomb was made empty, and Jesus was ascended so that the spirit come, can come down. The tomb is empty on Easter Sunday means that he's not nowhere, that he's here, that the tomb is empty because the room is full, that he's, full, he's filled this room with righteousness and peace and joy and forbearance and wisdom and all of the characters minus and subtracting nothing, that all that Jesus is, is all that Jesus is, uh, was, excuse me, all that Jesus was, is all that Jesus is in our midst right here in the church because Jesus did not empty the tomb to leave this place. He emptied the tomb to fill the room with his Holy Spirit. The same resurrection spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives here today in us. And secondly, he is risen. Say it with me. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen in us means that Easter's not just one day on the calendar that we wear the pastels and we eat the $20 brunch and we go home and take a nap. That Easter, Easter is the, is the first day, but it's not the last. Easter is the new day. It is the dawn of every day for every Christian everywhere. Easter is every day. Easter is not just, therefore, for empty tombs. Easter's for marriages. Easter's not just for tombs, it's for, it's for your money. Easter's for your sexual ethic. Go read Ephesians and look at the beginning of all that high lofty revelation that he gives about the church and what heaven's really about. You know how he ends? How to treat your parents. Because resurrection is not just about where you go when you die. Resurrection's about now. Resurrection's about now. And we are living eternal life now. I'm sorry to say this is very rude to you. You already died. Did you know that? If you were baptized, that was your funeral. You died with Christ and now you live and, you, and, and Christ in you and you in Christ. You didn't even get to invite anybody to your funeral. Your funeral is just basically a celebration of your body. And so now you live the life, and then you live the life after life. But you live no death, because the only death you ever died, died on Christ. And so you live an eternal life every day of your life. And that helps us make sense, right, of the Easter narrative of living in a new resurrection reality with dead things. Is because here's the problem, and we can't get it, right, because we're, we're small in our chronological understanding, right? But the Easter tomb means that resurrection happened, and it can't be changed, and it's not coming, it's not, it's not being undone, right? Easter happened, but it's still happening. It's still happening. You, 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 we can't live in, in, in a faith that just gathers to sing the songs and not live the life, and just think that Easter is just something that happened a long time ago that I can sing. No, Easter is still happening, and there's work to be done. There's something to participate in. There's something to engage in. There's something to experience. And so I want to um, just read one verse to us today, kind of as a... Uh, as an invitation, really, to, um, to consider and live into the resurrection life of the reality that he is risen, not just indeed, but in us. Philippians 3, and in verse 10, Paul says this from his prison cell to uh, the church in Philippi. He says, I want you to know Christ. I want you to know Christ. Yes, I want you to know the power of his, his resurrection. You guys read the Bible for a long time. You know, this is 
no is not an intellectual word only. Like no, gnosko is, is essential. It's like knowing your wife. It's like knowing a spouse. It's not an SAT score. It's like a relationship. So if you read that verse 10, to know Christ is not to just know about him, but to know him. And look, not only that, to not only know him, but his work. Look, you, you can experience, I want you to know what, the power of the resurrection. To feel and experience the power of the resurrection. How is he writing this other than the fact that he must believe that there's some Christians that don't know? You could be sitting in your seat, like your kidney in your stomach right now, right? Like, I know I got a cup of kidneys. I don't know what it does, though. <laughs> Haven't talked to it in a long time to have a cognitive reasoning of what the resurrection means, but have no experience to it. He's saying, I don't want that for you, church. I want you to know about it, but I also want you to know it. I want you to know it. And not only that, I want you to participate in it. Like oftentimes, you know, like, and I've done it before, like Easter's a great way to explain, maybe if you're a non-believer and you've never been to church before, like there are historical, philosophical proofs that you can speak to the resurrection and truth be told, you're exactly right. If you can come to me and prove to me the resurrection didn't happen, then everybody in here is the biggest fools on this Sunday. But if resurrection happened, then it changes everything. So resurrection is something to be proven, right? But that's not what Paul's saying in this verse. On this sermon, he doesn't want to talk about it that's proven. He wants to talk about that resurrection is to participate in. It's something to know. It's something to do. It's something to walk in, not just something to argue about or to create apologetics about. And lastly, he says that, that resurrection is something that involves, listen to this, to participate and involves suffering, becoming like him in his death. I mean, that's probably what he means is resurrection isn't healthy, wealthy, and wise in the mansion on the hill. Resurrection is knowing with and being like and living for Jesus, including his sufferings. It's not just you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Healthy, wealthy, wise, it, it is, it is, resurrection is, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. And so this is, what else could he mean, right? If he's praying for this church, Paul prays these beautiful prayers in Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Like, he doesn't pray for Aunt, Petty's, Aunt, Aunt Peggy's ankle, right? He prays that you know stuff, because it's quite possible to go around in this Christian life and to know things in your head and not know them in your heart, to be able to explain things that you can't experience, and so he's saying this to you because what is there to know if, you know, to pray that somebody would know something if the fact that you're talking to somebody that probably doesn't know it and that it's quite possible, it must mean that you can actually live 60 years of your life down here living in, you know, resurrection or having resurrection power live in you and you not live in it. That the same power of Christ can, can, that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and us not live in it. And so um, as we make our way, I had three little points that I want to camp out on with three, three verses, but I think that the, the, the binding thread of all this is that, you know, the reason why we as fickle and short-sighted human beings could miss the very power that we live in the midst of is because you, you can't see something you're not looking for. And oftentimes I think the reason as Christians we don't see the power of the resurrection is because we don't know what it's like. And we couldn't spot it if it smacked us in the nose. And we don't know what it's for. And so if you consider this as Darrell, right, he was talking about this earlier, but like, you think about one of the most powerful animals on all of God's creation is the lion. And the lion clearly has more strength than man. But have you ever seen a, man, seen a lion put a man in a cage? Sometimes strength doesn't, sometimes power doesn't always look like strength. Strength can sometimes look like weakness. And sometimes we can't even conceive of that. And we have the wrong grid. And so when you're looking for the wrong thing, you'll see the wrong thing every time. Sometimes the people that have the least amount of money, they spend the most amount of money on the stupidest stuff, right? Sometimes material wealth. Sometimes the things that people buy show you that, you know, you can have money but not know what value is. 
and not know what taste is, right? Necessarily, like you could think you know what a definition is in a, in a dictionary, but not actually know what it is. Sometimes it's the quietest person in the room that holds the greatest authority in a room and can usher in the greatest power, that everybody can be clamoring and arguing and one person can say one word. And sometimes power doesn't look like loud, it looks like quiet. It looks like a still, small voice. Did you know that the abolitionist movement in this country that started after the Second Great Awakening, you know where it really started? It didn't start in Charles Grant's opinion. You know where it started? In the mothers that talked to their kids about equality 30 years before it happened. Where does power come from? And so these are the three points I want to look at, is that we won't know what power is or what to do with it. We don't know what it's like, and we don't know what it's for. And this is what I think you can trace the arguments that Paul talks about, at least through his letters, of the power of the resurrection is for three different things I want to talk about. Power for sonship, power for freedom, and power for mission. We'll talk about three different things today. Power for sonship, power for freedom, and power for mission. So Romans 8 says it this way in verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because the spirit lives in you. And so we got to remember, right, with our Bible glasses on, like when he's talking about death, he's not talking about your pulse. When the Bible talks about death, he's not talking about airway, breathing, and respiration. He's talking about life to the full. So when he's saying that you once were dead, he's not saying you were a zombie. He's saying you lived a life that on the surface looked calm and steady, but underneath was boiling with seething anger so that people were walking around tiptoe around you because you had a pulse, but you weren't really alive. When he's saying dead, what he's saying is that you are 50 years old on the outside, but you've been running since you've been 16, year old, 16 years old from all the trauma and the pain that you've been dealing with from your past, and you think you're alive, but you're not. And remember that eternal life is not good unless it has abundant life. Eternal life without abundant life is hell, right? Isn't that the, isn't that the logic of, of the kingdom idea? So verse 14 says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, and here's the heart of it, not healthy, wealthy, and wise, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what resurrection power comes to do. Not to give you what you want when you want it, but to make you a child of God. That's what it's come to do. It might come in a whisper and not in a shout. It might come when you're ugly and crying and not when you're at your best. But it's still power nonetheless, even if you don't call it power. It's come to make you a child. The Spirit received that you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive gives you adoption into sonship by which you cry, Abba, Father. You guys have one of these? You guys have one of these things? I can't think of something this small and this important that I used to love and hate. I just want to confess to you, I don't like this thing anymore. I might have to get an Android. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I just, it's just, I, it's the worst. It's the best and it's the worst. I mean, I'm a disorganized person. I like to have everything. I like to have my wallet. I like to have my Apple Pay. I like to have my... My wife, like, I, li I like all this stuff, and I understand we can't go backwards, but dude, my life was so much, it was better in some ways. I remember I got this thing in 2007, the iPhone 3G, it could copy and paste. The iPhone 3 couldn't do that, so that was awesome. And I was taking pictures and posting them on my blog spot, and I was FaceTiming with people over in Hong Kong, and it was just amazing. And I think, look at the, as the possibilities, Steve Jobs, you Messiah, you've finally done it, you know? And I'm like, I'm going to wear a black turtleneck and new balances too. Like, I'm going for it, you know? And so it's like, could you think of any product that has more overpromise and underdeliver when it comes to the ability to connect people? How could we be in this age so connected to everyone with information at our fingertips, but yet so lonely and disconnected to be connected but not known? That's the, that seems to me, if I to put the pulse on our culture, the, 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 the deep desire, like I could tell you what Mark Wahlberg ate for breakfast this morning, and it makes me think I know him, but I don't. 
And I can text you and like you and thumbs up and keep it all shallow and keep it a buck and keep it, like text everybody. And it's like, and I think I know you, but I don't. And you think you know me, but you don't know me, right? And that's the, that's the, that's the great danger of irony of this thing is that in COVID, we were handed over to the idol we wanted. And we figured out real quick what YouTube church did to us. To be connected but unknown is eternal life without abundant life. It's not good. And of all these things, this is what it says. It's like that, that you have come. Resurrection power didn't come to make your dreams come true. It came to make you a son. Way better than your dreams come true. Came to make you a son to cry out, Abba, Father, and know him face to face. I can remember sitting down with a guy, a mentor of mine that I admired, and, and we were talking about discipleship. And he, uh, we were a little sub shop, Mike, Jerry's Mike's, I remember, and he, and he paid the tab. And man, when you're just a college guy and somebody pays your lunch, it could be Jersey Mike's, and you're like, man, God is so good. And uh, thank you, Lord. Um, and uh, he signed the check, and he just had this nudge, this glance, a little moment that he would probably never remember. He's a really, he's just a great speaker and a good guy at the camp. And he looked at me in the face and he said, Oliver, he said, I want you to know something. You have everything it takes to be a pastor. Like, I didn't even tell him I wanted to be a pastor. He said, I want you to know you have everything it takes to be a pastor. How many times I've thought about that? How many times that comes back? How many words have come at me, good, bad, or indifferent, but for some reason that one is indelibly marked into my psyche, into my mind. I can remember a time we were driving down the road. Kids are going crazy. I want to sit in the back seat. I got out of the bathroom. And I'm sitting there, and my dad just totally changed the subject, just a discreet little spontaneous moment. He turns over to me. He says, you know, everyone has their strength and their weakness. He said, and everyone has a superpower. And he said, I want you to know your superpower is family. And I want you to know that's a word, like lots of, y'all say lots of stuff to me, good, bad, or indifferent, but I always remember that word. I remember when, when a pastor I was sitting with one time, he was telling me about all these great things in ministry, and I don't know why it came out of me, but I just said to him, I said, hey, I just kind of curious, like how does Michelle feel about all this stuff, his wife? How does Michelle feel about this? And he, he like, it was like he got hit by a freight train. Like I was speaking to something that he'd been already thinking of and I was reading his mind. He goes, Oliver, I want you to know like that is wisdom beyond your age. He's like, pastors, they do their thing and they run all these things and everybody sees the pastor. And he's like, you know what people never think of? They never think of the wife. And he's like, and he's like you thinking of that is just, is just something that, that is uncommon. And so this is, what, this, is what the, this is what resurrection power really is. Like what it really is when it comes down to it, it's the voice of a father speaking into your heart in a place when, when we are a mile wide and an inch deep. The world needs to be safe, so it needs a category for you. It needs an Enneagram score. It needs a gender. It needs like, you know, like it needs like a, you're just the girl, you're just the guy, you're masculine, you're like these things. It needs a race to tag you with. It needs a personality to tag you with. Like in a world that, that categorizes into labels, the father speaks to us and gives us a name. It gives us an identity. This is what Matthew 3, 17 says. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. This is what the resurrection power has come to do. The resurrection power has come to you this Easter to say this to you. Like, when I called you to follow me and I changed your life forever, I knew all the things that you did, were doing, and will do, and I still chose you. Of all the things that the disciples betrayed him with, stabbed him in the back, deserted him, He's able to say to them on that resurrection beach, I still knew you and I chose you. And he would say that to his too. He'd say as a son, as a daughter, like none of this, 
strife and, and, and struggling is, is coming to you to punish me. I, only, I don't punish my children. I discipline them in love. And all of these challenges are to build you up and not to break you down. I want to tell you that, that I love you because I love you because I love you. And there's nothing you could do to make, you love you, make me love you anymore or nothing you could do to make me love you any less. This is the voice of the Father. This is what the resurrection has come to do. Number two, the resurrection moves us from slavery into freedom. Galatians 5.1 says it this way. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. See, the problem is is that we assume that sin is just a slippery little slope. It's a thing that we do when dad and mom were looking, and I'll kind of patch it up, and it's just a yin and yang, like he loves me, he loves me not, I do good, I do bad, and so forth, and and we've totally underestimated sin. Sin is not just a problem, it's a prison. Sin is a slavery that yokes up on people and buries them in debt, regret, shame, fear, and self-loathing. And we don't need a theology book to tell us that. We've lived that before. We've experienced that before in our lives and the lives of others. And so when you go and talk to somebody that has an anger management problem, you just go, hey, man, get it together. Stop yelling at your wife. He's not going to say, thanks. It really helped me out a lot. And I really am going to go ahead and get it together now, right? If a person is like really dealing with us, hey, man, that's really, that's really awful. I mean, that's the daughter of God. Why would you do that? It's like the law and rules don't save people because sin is a trap. It's a, it's a prison it's, it's slavery, and it buries people so that the actual healing that needs to take place, the, the parenting that never happened, the recovery of trauma that never happened, the healing that needs, to, that, that needs to happen, all begins to stay in the dark. And that's why you could have in this room a person that's 40 and 50 years old in these other areas of life, but they're two in emotional health, but they're five in communication, because they're stuck and they've got nowhere to go and the world is labeling them and they have no power for resurrection. And secondly, that we misunderstand freedom because we think that freedom is the ability to do whatever we want, but doing whatever we want is a, is a license to sin which leads to slavery in the first place because freedom is not doing whatever you want. If you think about a fish, right, that accidentally falls out of the fishbowl, they are free of the fishbowl. But I'm not sure that a fish out of a fishbowl can suit the definition of freedom. I don't think that a fish that's out of the fishbowl is free. I think that freedom is not doing whatever you have. Freedom is being who you're created to be, is living in the formation, the spiritual maturity of who you are. That's what freedom is. If you allow people to do whatever they want to do, they'll just become slaves. And that's the true spiritual experience. And so how does a person with resurrection power go from spiritual slavery into spiritual freedom? Can I suggest to you that it's a lot less of an osmosis where you just go to bed at night and pray and then you wake up. Like, I think God can do that. I wouldn't limit him to say that you could pray and just wake up without an addiction to nicotine. Like, I've seen it happen before and it can happen like that. But sometimes spiritual maturity and formation and freedom actually doesn't look like a magic trick. It looks like a marriage. It looks like intimacy. It looks like day by day. So it's like, you know, you think about Kyra. Like, here's the big trick. I've been married for 19 years. And the truth is, is that marriage is awesome because it makes life better, but also marriage is awesome because it makes you better. Isn't that the trick? Marriage is not for happiness, it's for holiness. And you figure out really quickly, right, like, like this person who has seen the ugliest parts of you stays and that can't not affect you. And you begin to bring things into the light as you are emboldened more and more by love and not fear, by grace and not punishment, and you can actually bring out the deep fears and the pride and the longing in your life and actually be seen and known and not judged. And the power of truth and grace can come to heal you and not to enslave you and judge you. And now you're dealing with an entire different thing. You're also you know, held accountable, like accountability. Freedom is accountability in that way. Because if you don't have banks, you don't have formation. And so, and so the, you know, it's like, come, come visit me when Kyra's out of town. When Kyra's in town, 
you're going to see, you know, I'm dieted well, you know, I'm getting up and being responsible, I make the bed, you know what I mean? Like, I do so. Like, you see Kyra leave and see what happens to me. I'm the best when Kyra's here, trust me, and I'm the worst when she's not, you know, and the kids are in better hands when she's here as well. And here's the other funny thing about marriage is marriage can actually not just change what you do, it can change what you want to do. You can actually walk with somebody long enough that you begin to see things through the eyes of the way that they see them. And you can actually just, I don't like that movie, but I'll go because you like it. And somehow, as I sit next to you watching it, somehow through intimacy, not osmosis, I actually start to want the things I didn't want to want. And so this is the nature of the Spirit. Like the Spirit comes because He's not just the map or the law, He's the guide. And He sits in there with you in your life and walks with you and rubs off on you, almost like sandpaper in some ways, so that there's no longer a distance between you and Him and you can't tell, tell the line that separates. And so He comforts you. Like, this is what it says in the scriptures, that Holy Spirit is a comforter, and you come to, and this is what the power of the Holy Spirit is. It's not a big smack in the face where you change everything overnight. It's this comforting presence that you can bring things in the light where there used to be shame, and now there's freedom. That he can lead you to the correct, the correct scriptures that can disciple you and change you from the inside out, not just white knuckle it. That, that the final list, right, of the, list of, this, of, of the fruits of the Spirit that begins, you know, with love, ends with self-control. You know why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is not god control. The fruit of the Spirit is I actually want to do what the Spirit wants, that I walk with him and see the lost and the broken and the hurting and responsibility and my job resume and the things that I'm most afraid of. I stop seeing them through my eyes and I see them through his eyes. And that's the only way that transformation happens. That's the power of the resurrection. Lastly, in Acts chapter one, but you will receive power. This is what the resurrection power does and what it's like. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. I love Clayton King from New Spring was talking about last weekend that the simple message of the gospel in Acts chapter 1 is to bring the gospel every, to everyone everywhere so that everyone everywhere can have everyday relationship with Jesus. I love that. I love that the power of the gospel, like if you give a person a gun, if they don't know what to do with it, they're only going to hurt themselves. And if you give the power of the resurrection, you don't equip people like you think that the power of the resurrection means that my life is better, and that's going to disappoint you because the power of the resurrection is not to deliver a dream. It's to save you from it, to save you from yourself, to save me from myself because my dream is too small, and I was not formed to be part of some American dream and some job opportunity and career path. I'm here to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, and you're here in him to bring the gospel to everyone everywhere so that all people can have a relationship with Jesus, and nothing else will satisfy. And so there was, a, there was a, um, a podcast I wanted to share with you from John Mark Comer, and he was talking about, you know, burnout. And he says there's three reasons why people get burnout. There's three reasons. Number one, people get burned out because, um, because they don't have control over, over their job. Like, people just want to work and then for something to work, right? That's what you want. And when you are in a job and you're working and it's not working, that's super frustrating. And there's only a certain amount of time you can put up with that. Secondly, you need to have connection with your job. Like back in the day, you used to be able to uh, make a table and you'd sell it to George and George would have Thanksgiving on it. And you would see George's kids having Thanksgiving on that table and that would mean something. And that can't not be the same if you were over in GE just screwing in bolts in assembly line for 15 hours a day. Those are two different realities. And one of them is going to burn you out. And then the last one, right, just pay and, 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 and compensation, the feeling of value. And so what does all that mean except for this, right, that actually what makes us tired is not what we're doing. It's, it's what we think is the meaning of what we're doing. That there are people that are actually willing to quit their job to do harder work if they feel it's meaningful. They will sacrifice pay because the why is more important than the what when it comes to burnout, right? Okay? And, so, and, so, and so this is the reason. I think underneath it is this humming drum like it's it's actually not a bad thing that burnout is happening because burnout's teaching you your why is wrong 
and that you haven't seen, either haven't seen the, the what that you're in right now, or you need a different why and a different what. But, 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 but rest is actually not just the abstinence of work. Haven't you ever been on a vacation before and come home super exhausted as a dad? I know that I'm more tired at the end of the vacation because, because rest is actually not a vacation. Rest is alignment. Rest is, is, is doing what I'm supposed to be doing for the reasons I'm supposed to be doing it, the timing I'm supposed to be doing it. And Jesus doesn't say to come and follow a vacation. He says to come and follow an alignment, follow a yoke, follow a yoke. And so the power of the resurrection comes, not just for me, but for my family and for my neighbors, for everyone everywhere to realize the kingdom of heaven at hand, not just um, the American dream. And so uh, if we come back to John chapter 11, I think I'll, I'll just tie things together in this. I think that the secret, the answer to the quiz, like if Paul asks you, how do you know the resurrection? I mean, not just like argue it from a apologetic standpoint, but like know it from an experiential participatory sort of way. And I think he would say, John 11, verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, know Jesus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That going and looking and striving and, and creating and balancing the work-life schedule the correct way never actually gets us life because when we chase life, we lose it. But if you were to lose your life in light of Jesus, though you die, you will live and you will find resurrection life and not just for the by and by, but for right now, for in here, that up there has come into this place to not just be and indeed resurrection, but an in-us resurrection that has happened this Easter and every Easter that will, will be on this, on this place. And so it's to know Jesus. What is resurrection for? It's, it's not just to know all the answers and to be able to tell everybody that you're better or that you're fixed, right? It's to know Jesus. That's the resurrection power, to intimately know him, to be a name and not a number and not a label, to be free like Jesus, to be fully formed, to be a resilient, like, place of peace for people, a person that, that isn't just waiting for, for heaven for completion, but walks in resurrection and is learning how to walk in resurrection side by side with the Spirit, to have the spirit of self-control and do what God wants at the same time. So as Martin Luther says, love God and do whatever you want. To be a free person. And finally, you know, to be fruitful. There's a way to live 60 years on this life doing so much and achieving so little. To be successful and not fruitful. And this is what the resurrection life is. To know the resurrection is to know Jesus. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.